folks, Herb Anderson here. Welcome to season six. You know, I partnered up this season with Four Eyes because we are in some crazy times, right? We have uh, inventory shortages, we have an unstable vehicle value landscape, and we have high demand. So we've had to become better at alternative-based selling. And one of the ways that we can do that is by actively studying our consumers' behavior on our website and being able to follow up with them in a more intelligent manner. Because we don't have inventory right now, offering alternatives based on what customers are really interested in buying is crucial. And Four Eyes can really help you do that. It even gets better than that. By actively tracking website behavior, Four Eyes can improve your customer communication process through a series of intuitive email campaigns tailored to what vehicles your customers are engaging with. Look, it's a win-win. Click the link in the description of this episode to start your 60-day trial. Welcome to the show. We hope you have a blast. Thanks for making time for the Dealer Talk Podcast. Another business leader, here's a penny for your thoughts. This ain't a regular conversation, baby. This that Dealer Talk, yeah. 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 This that dealer talk. What up? Welcome back to another episode of the Dealer Talk Podcast. It's your host, Herb Anderson. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we have an amazing conversation. We're going to be talking about um, email communication, but in a way that we probably haven't covered here in the past. So without further ado, let me introduce to you today, Mr. David Steinberg from Four Eyes. Herb, nice to be here. Nice, nice. Um, I'm, uh, I'm happy to be with you today. Me too, man. This is awesome. I'm super excited. We're gonna have a lot of fun. Um, so, like I said in the intro, there we're gonna be talking about um, email, but um, I think in a in a very in depth and cool way, and how dealerships can still leverage that um, effectively. So, um, I typically kick things off with the background. So, tell us about you. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I've always been an entrepreneur. I, uh, I come from a family of um, adopted children. I have four adopted brothers. Um, and one of the things I think that has created in me is I've, uh, my parents adopted my, my siblings, uh, my older brothers from Vietnam and Cambodia when, um, in the seventies, when nature versus nurture would say that like the way we were, you could raise a kid to be anything you wanted. And so I was kind of born in a science experiment, um, where, sure the uh and it was a failed science experiment you know i learned a lot about like behavior change and how people don't really change and like our nurture our nature is like so present so so much of what we build has to do with this idea of how do you do behavior change when people don't really change um and so we do a lot of like behavioral psychology on how we message how we communicate how we ask uh for things uh, knowing that like people don't change. And, and I think that's like key to some of the, if you look at the underpinnings of why some four eyes products are successful, it's because inherently we understand that there's, there's an ask whenever you have a software product for someone to do something. And, uh, and I'm very into this idea of how do you get someone to actually do that, that intended thing. Right on, man. That's, that's great. And, and I want to, I want to kind of develop that a little bit. Um, so 
you know, four eyes, this, this, the, the concept of it, like, how did this kind of start? Yeah. So, you know, before, before four eyes and before, you know, at parents, which I, I founded in 2009, um, I had a lumber company, a sustainable lumber company. And I was always a hack programmer. My background was in soft, uh, was in software. So I programmed like a really rustic version of four eyes because I, I knew from a say, you know, I knew that all this data that our website generated was great from a marketing perspective, but I wanted it from a salesperson's perspective. And so built this really rustic script that told me what people were doing on my website. And it was really powerful. I could see like, oh, you know, if, if Herb, if you called me, I could see up oh, Herb's call, someone's calling me. He's looking for reclaim Redwood. I could answer the phone. I already knew what you were kind of into. And that had a certain like parlor trick to it. But then what became really valuable was then when I was quoting all this material all over the U.S. and I never knew where they were in the buying cycle and, you know, buyers are liars. So they all try to act like they're they're interested in the product and take your time. So I started this little flag system where I could flag you. I mean, this was like the very early days of like thinking about what would become Four Eyes. And I could flag you and watch you when you would come back and it, it would tell me, hey, Herb's back on the website like three weeks later. And this became like my, my really powerful sales tool. And I started, I became the biggest uh, dealer of hand-hewn beams in, in the world for a while, just off of basically following up with people at the right time. So when we started at Parents in 2009 and everyone's focused on the marketing, marketing, look at what you can do. I'm thinking like, where's this, this system that I built? Like thinking that there would be companies that had done it already, that had more sophisticated versions. Because my system that I built wasn't scalable. I couldn't like give it to anybody else. It was like very rustic. And so that really started the idea of Four Eyes, which is like, how do you use the data that your website generates to help salespeople? Uh, to really like, not to help the marketing team. I mean, that's great data for the marketing team, but like really focus on how do you help a sales guy do their job? And I think it's interesting because sales has changed in a key way. We've put all our information online, but we haven't put, brought our salespeople online. So salespeople's ability to listen to their customer is has gone way down. And you see that, oh, go on. Yeah, let me, let me interject there because you, 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 said, you said something that, that caught my ear. Um, and when I'm thinking of this tool, you, you're, you're referencing the salesperson, but it's really now the BDC department. Mm-hmm. So when when it sounds like when you were in the developments of this, that wasn't a consideration. Obviously, maybe BDCs were in their infancies potentially, or I mean, why why was the focus on salespersons and not BDC? I guess is the, is where my mind is going right now. Yeah. So initially, and and still to this day, like if you look at the Four Eyes modules, we have a set of modules that are highly focused on the salesperson, and then the tool we're talking about today is actually communicates directly to the consumer, um, but. The sale, you know, if, if you look at an organization, like my method of, of developing is you always focus on the underserved. So anytime I hear people are, these people are lazy, they're not doing a good job. Yeah, I think, right. oh, there's so much opportunity to develop for them. Like what's sure. changed in their world that people think they're so lazy. And as we started getting into the salespeople, we started noticing that they were unable to sort of communicate at scale that what was happening on with dealers is they were changing all this information constantly. They were changing inventory, they were changing pricing, they were changing, and the salesperson had no ability to communicate that to their customers. Um, not, a, I mean, it, it's basically trees falling in the forest and nobody hears. Here's the, right. And 
so we said, well, what, what would happen if we took that set of information, if we took that job that we know they're not doing, and we automated that in a, in a really efficient, nice way that required nothing from the dealership? Again, so like going into the idea of behavior change, that we wanted to do something that required a zero ask from the dealership. So just keep on doing exactly what you're doing but we're going to layer this on and we're going to empower you without you having to do a thing. And, and that's really where the, the prospect engagement module that we're kind of talking about today, that's where it came from. But you see underneath that, underneath that, it still collects all the data and mm -hmm. you know, it still gives the salesperson that ability to operate at scale where we're bubbling up the people that are actually most likely to buy. Cause you know, part of the problem, you look at an environment like today, like they're triaging leads. They're just basically saying, yeah, hey, I'm, who are the people most likely to buy? I'm just going to work those leads. Right. The problem with that methodology is you alienate the 90% that don't buy. And so I believe like, and I, I think this is part of the reason why Carvana's stock is so high, why Carvana's success. I mean, we can talk about their acquisition model or whatever they're doing to get cars, but it's because dealerships don't realize that for every lead they sell, they're alienating four or five people from ever calling them again. And so we wanted a product that basically would help the consumer feel like they're still being communicated with, that they haven't been forgotten about by the dealership. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the, the, the current state, right? Because I think that there's, there's some, some key points here that, that I want to I develop. Number one is let's talk, you, you know, we keep referencing the website and the value of the website. There's no question that if you're, if you're in the automotive space for any amount of time, you know that the best leads come from your website. I mean, it's just the way that it is. And, and so my market marketing philosophy has always been to drive customers from wherever I can, you know, pull them, you know, capture their intent online, obviously, or on social media or whatever, and then drive them into, into my website. And then my website, if it's constructed appropriately, right, it's going to keep that customer engaged. It's going to give that customer to take some sort of action. Hopefully that's the, that's the goal. Or at, at the very least, if they're in, on my website, at least they're looking at my inventory only and not my inventory and my competitor's inventory. So, um, but there's another side to that, right? It's, the, it's the, the, what happens on the back end because that information is coming through and we're able to do something with that um, to your point, right? At w it, when does it become... Um, I guess where's the line, right? Because you know now that we have companies that are, have these um, visitor insight tools and all these things where you can actually call the customer and you can be like, hey, you know, I saw you were looking at, and so you know, talk talk to me about that. Like, what would be, I guess, a good strategy? Because it's weird, right? You don't want to call a customer and be like, hey, I know you were on my website, but at yeah, the same yeah. time, now that we have the opportunity to do something with that information how do we most effectively leverage it, right? Because doing nothing with it isn't really a strategy either. Yeah, and I think it's, I, 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 there's this framework I love for thinking about this whole process, which is like every great movie is two great scenes and no bad scenes. And so how do you, you, know, how do you think about the experience? Are you, are you introducing a bad scene? into the experience. So I think, I think we do some natural, I think in the, in the auto buying experience, there's a reason why leads are buying in seven days because it's like dealers are good ish at running a seven day process, but then it becomes a bad scene after seven days. Mm -hmm. And so like, 
you know, how do you follow up? How do you, how do you do things? Like I don't recommend that when someone hits your website, you pick up the phone and call them. Like so much of what we do. So like the, the truth about four eyes behind the scenes, I'll give you a dirty secret about what we do. So when we're notifying salespeople, we're actually not notifying them all the time when customers visit the website. We're pulling back some based off what, what, how we're discerning the activity in the CRM so that we're not just telling them follow up, follow up. Cause, cause then that's annoying. Then you're like, every time I pick up, I go to the website, I, I immediately right. have to deal with this, this phone call. Um, the question is like the, the question to solve with that, that follow-up process is how do you make the salesperson valuable again? Because just following up and saying, when are you going to come in and, and drive? When are you going to come in? When are you going to come do what I want you to do? Is actually right. not super valuable from the, the consumer experience. Like it's not a great scene to say salesperson call up, do what I want you to do. So a lot of times what we do is we ingest like talk tracks and things that they can say where the customer would not have known that information. Like how do you make the salesperson add value? Because right then that's where you help that relationship. That's where they go, oh, this person, when they call me, they give me something that I didn't have before. I'm willing to answer their call. They're not just bugging me to come buy a car, buy a car, buy a car. Um, so I, I think it's a dance. I think it's like, you know, it's not about just like a rote process. It's about, you know, you're, you're building a movie here and you, 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 don't, you want two great scenes, no bad scenes. Yeah, no, I like that. You know, it's interesting because fr- from my end, one of, you know, obviously data is huge. And I like to measure that behavior in any way, shape or form that I can, because that ultimately gives me information or it allows me to make decisions, right, on, on where to where to, you know, move things, right? If I need to move the needle in certain directions or if I need to pull back in others or if I just need to eliminate things altogether. Um, what I really like about your guys' product is that it measures the um, what I consider to be um, valuable activity. Right. It's not that they're just on the website and like, here's the information of the customer It's like, hey, they're on the website, but they're doing something. So they're taking some sort of action of value. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, like, for example, let's just talk about Google Analytics for a second. So everything that we do on our on our on GA, as far as driving traffic and we're measuring all those things and we set up goals and stuff, that's fantastic. But if it's not, if you don't have it honed in on your website to certain actions, then you don't know what behavior the customer is taking, and therefore, you're, all you're measuring is activity. Oh, you got you got people on the website. They spent this much time on the website. Great, but what did they do once they got there? And so, um, can we talk a little bit about that? Like, what were what what are the things that you guys consider? And I mean, obviously, it applies to your product, but just in general, like as if you're just uh, somebody that's looking to measure. Um, activity on your website, what are the things that you that you would consider to be quote unquote buying signals or behaviors that we should be tracking um, all the time? Yeah. And, and, and I think I'll, I'll, I'll answer that question too, with going one step up, which is one of the problems that's has plagued automotive is that the term lead has been sort of bastardized that the all of the digital marketing platforms and the certified programs came in and, and sort of subtly redefined the word lead. And they said, hey, a lead is a phone call, form, or chat. If someone does that with you, that's a lead. Well, in a traditional business, that's not a lead. If, if I call because I'm angry about something or I'm a solicitor 
or I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm not technically a lead. And part of the first problem in Google Analytics is it's got that really rote definition of a lead, which is prone to a lot of error and misinterpretation. So like Volkswagen, when they had their emission scandal, guess what happened to their leads? Right. It went through the roof, right? Yeah. So, so the first thing we do, like one of the things we do is we always qualify every lead. Like, do they have buying intent? So, and people always think this is subjective when we say this, like, well, what, how do you define buying intent? Well, we're literally, we're looking at the, the chat, the form, the phone call, and we're looking at their website activity and it's cut and dry. Like we would agree on 99 out of a hundred, if not a hundred out of a hundred, if we, if we looked at them together, like lead, not a lead. And so then in Google analytics, we can actually update that to here are your, we call them QSPs, but here are your QSPs, qualified sales prospects. Um, and so when you're looking first in your analytics and you're saying, okay, which what's actually generating qualified sales prospects and what are my qualified sales prospects actually doing on my website? It starts to unearth. Like I, I believe good data doesn't really answer questions. It asks better questions. So it starts to unearth that next set of questions. And so I think so much of the problem sometimes when we set up our analytics is it's like a dartboard. We're just randomly throwing darts. I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to listen to this, but there's no idea of segmenting your users into actually the qualified sales prospects because those are the people you're ultimately selling to. Um, everybody else's noise. Right. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But at the same time, they, it, they're up here, right? But eventually they will become, they will start to take the behaviors that are going to qualify them. Yeah. But in the beginning, yes, it's just they, they're up here and then you have people that are down here and they make their way they make their way down. But again, if you're not measuring those things, if you're not looking at that, if you don't have a good strategy for, for that, then, um, then you're going to miss that opportunity. Like what do you, when you set up your analytics, right? Are you happy with like your setup of how it, with the data it gives you? Yeah, but I, I have a pretty honed in process now that I just replicated from, the different stores that I've worked at and, you know, like I look at the four main things, right? I, like uh, the form submissions, the chats, um, text message, if some of the stores have that phone calls, right? Because those are, I mean, those are the things that measure um, quote unquote, you know, like engagement and, and, you know, I don't know if engagement is the right word because there are other measures for engagement, but it tells me that the customer is taking some sort of value, value added action, right? But then I look at some of the some of the other stuff, right? That to me it's more valuable. How many pictures that they look at? How many time did they spent on there? Did are they return customers? Yeah. You know, like there's there's the the um oh geez, I'm blanking out right now. The, there's this report in Google Analytics the that you could tell when that customer has come to your website multiple times. Yeah. The cohort report, excuse me, sorry. Yeah. Um, and so you you're able to analyze that activity as the time progresses, and then you can see if that if that audience is coming back into the website. And so if I see that 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 audience has has multiple entries, and to me that's more valuable because here's the reality: like we've trained customers not to s submit a form, right? We've yeah. just trained them not to do that because we call till they buy or die. Um, you know, so so that's uh, chat. For the majority of the dealers that I've worked worked at, they don't have a pretty good response time. So then the customer sets sets in a question or something, and it just sits in the queue. 
for, for longer than it should. And so that that's not really a good experience. The phone call to your point, like, I don't know what that phone call is. I know that they called somebody, that, but I don't know if it was for service, which happens a lot. Like a lot of people just call to schedule a service appointment or whatever. Um, and so, you know, like, I mean, it's good to keep your eye on those four things, but you have to have, you have to go deeper. Like I, I, I like to go, I, I spend a lot of time in second dimensions in Google Analytics and really break that down further. Well, because- well but you're, you're doing the philosophy that I'm talking about. You just don't realize it, right? So you started and you said, okay, first I'm going to define the conversion, which is like a classic Google Analytics exercise. Right. But then that's kind of where you're spending the majority of your time. The other stuff you're like, and you're, that's why you're asking me the question of like, okay, how do I read the other stuff, the non-conversion uh, well, yes. And the other thing is, I find that a lot of dealers don't do it. A lot of dealers don't even have their goals set up in, in analytics, right? They ju- they're just not, or, or they don't have somebody internally at the dealership that knows that stuff or that's paying attention to that. And so um, I always like to give, you know, some tips, some sort of giveaway, something that you should be looking at at least to, to get you better than where you are today. Because the reality is this, the data that we, we live in an environment right now that's full of data and that's continuing to grow. And I don't see that going the other way. I see becoming more and more. We're going to start to get more and more and more data. And after a while, you're going to have so much. So what do you do with it? So you need to, you know, I think dealerships, first of all, I'm a big advocate of dealers starting to look at or really consider having data analyst positions. Like I really think that that needs to be a permanent position at the store. And these folks, all they're doing is they're taking all this data from everywhere. They're compiling it and they're making sense of it all to help that store reach the, their, their objectives. Um, but until we get there, I think we need to have at least a basic, hey, if you're doing nothing else, do these four things or do these five things because you're going to be better than where you are today. So I really agree with you on the data analysts. And I could go, I, there's something we're working on behind the scenes that's coming up soon that I'm really excited about on that front. But I think I think the other piece, the other piece you're saying that's that's interesting to me is there's this economic theory of like anonymous harm, which is part of the reason I think dealers struggle with all this data that we're willing to like accept massive amounts of harm if it's anonymous. And part of the problems in like Google Analytics that people struggle with and in, in honing it in is it's anonymous. It's completely, it's this, this herd did this and this herd did this. I mean, like the good example is it's like, we'll spend a million dollars to get somebody off a mountain when they're stuck up there. But meanwhile, like 10 people could freeze in a winter night in Chicago and we don't, we don't do anything because mm-hmm. they're, they're anonymous. And so like we do a lot of, um, we used to do this a lot, like as we were building Four Eyes, was we'd come in with somebody and we'd say, okay, we're gonna show you some data from Google Analytics. Look at the bounce rate on this page. Like, Look at how many people are just coming and bouncing, thousands of people coming and bouncing. And the dealer would look at that, they wouldn't do anything. They'd like sort of nod or they'd say, oh, I know it's a problem. And then we'd say, hey, let's watch your website real time right now. And I'm like, oh, here's somebody, ooh, they came in from paid search. They clicked on this campaign. This cost about seven bucks. Oh, they're on the they're on the VDP. Ooh, they just bounced. And watching that moment right there would completely make them be like, I'm, I'm going to get on the phone. I'm going to I'm going to fix this problem. <laughs> they would have a completely different reaction to that to that That's data. <laughs> so, like, when you're talking about data analysts, and I and I look at what we're doing, I, I like in the psychology of it. 
I think we need to, to link a lot of what's happening on in these big trends that you're saying where like, oh, I'm seeing a problem here to non-anonymous data to like, and I don't believe in like unmasking, by the way, everyone thinks four eyes is an unmasking tool, like not trying to figure out who you are on the website. You don't need to, the, enough people are telling you who they are. Right. We, just, we just need to start looking at those stories and say, let's talk about why this didn't work with her. What, what was the bad experience you gave him on your, oh, look, he, the VDPs he hit, he hit seven VDPs and none of them had images. Like, oh, this is, you know, this right. is why he bounced or this is why he bought somewhere else. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Like I, well, I used to work for Cox Automotive. I was a, a rap for Auto Trader. And man, I remember walking into these meetings and being like, oh, you got all these VDPs and VDPs and VDPs that. And the customer would be like, great, we didn't sell any more cars. And so there's one thing to get views, but views with no action is pointless. It does nothing for you. You know what I mean? I could, I could create strategies and ads and, and windows to a dealer's website and have them look like they're getting a ton of activity. Yeah, and that's another place where vendors have sort of tried to re, you know, recraft the, the metrics to say, you know, it's not really about forms and chats anymore. It's about VDP views. And I would kind of argue like, no, it's, it, it's about how many live people are you interacting with as a dealership, like in any way, shape or form. Shape or form. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Agreed. So I want to I wanna not completely go in a different direction, but I, I want to talk about email marketing because to me... Um, it's the it's the most economical and the most effective way for dealership to communicate with their customer base more than anything else, right? Like, um, I'm a big advocate of database marketing. I think that um, it's very under recognized, underutilized. I think that dealers, um, do they, we just don't do a good job at that. We yeah. pay all the money to get that new customer but we forget about the customers that we have internally. And so I've seen tremendous amount of success with a good omni-channel solution uh, geared towards our database and email is a big component and element of that. And so I, I, I'm just, I'm a believer in it. I still feel like if done correctly, it works. So um, what are your guys' thoughts on, on, on email and, and, you know, we'll, how, what would you say to, to decision makers that are tuning in right now? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I think, and you know, like the Four Eyes Prospect Engagement Tool, it's basically an email tool that's mm -hmm. going to communicate at scale to customers' inventory changes. And it works really well. I mean, there's a reason why, like, we free trial it, you know, so we give a 60-day free trial, no strings attached. We started that in COVID, like, just as kind of a Hail Mary. And thinking, oh, we'll get 300 dealers, this will be great. Well, it's over 2,000 dealers. And, you know, the 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 conversion rate that you're supposed to get like the premium is 30 percent. if you can convert 30 percent of a free trial you're like you're loving it well we're converting 52 percent to people That's awesome. so like it's clearly working and it's clearly proving its value but what's interesting about that tool was when we were building that tool i almost canceled it because we did a study uh, -huh. uh so we went in and, and we said hey before we do this, we want to make sure that if we email people, we don't mess with their close rates, you know, so let's do a study on, on how effective it is to communicate via email. And so basically we pulled like thousands of leads and we looked at all of the times they were, they were basically automatically emailed. They were email marketed too. And we had this like 
can I can I say shit on this podcast? Right? Uh, absolutely, man. We had this like oh shit moment because we look at the data and we're like oh no. So what we saw was that when when um, dealers were automatically communicating with their customers, they were making the customer fifty percent less likely to respond to real human interaction. So to actually pick up the phone or respond to an email. Wait, wait. I gotta. That's. Yeah. Am I understanding that correctly? So as they got the email, they were less likely to communicate with with a person over the phone? Yeah. So they were 50%. So when I was, when when dealers were automatically emailing people, and I'll I'll go into detail on what that was that we then like diagnosed. But when they were doing that, the customer was therefore 50% less likely to respond to a real human when they tried to get a hold of them. And so- it was actually having the effect of lowering close rate on these leads. And we freaked out. I'm like, how can we build this tool? This is going to be a disaster. Like what can, what can we do here? When we unwrapped it, we saw two things that were happening was one, most of the email communication was spoofing the salesperson. So it was coming from the salesperson and it was like saying like, Hey, I'm David. Are you still interested in buying a car from our family business? We've been in business. Tell me, do you, are you still interested in coming to see me? <laughs> and no. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so what is the, I mean, we, we get, uh, we get those emails, right? We've all get those emails as people being sold to. So like when you get those emails that spoof the salesperson, what we were seeing happens is the, the customer sees right through it. Even, it's even a different font a little bit usually. Like it doesn't look quite right. There's always something right. like a little off with it. And the customer sees that and goes, oh, I'm just in their tickler. I'm just in their washing machine. They're just trying to like cycle through me. Right. And so when they pick up the phone and call, they, they don't think this person's trying to add value. They think this person's trying to ask me, am I going to come in and buy a car? Yes or no? And... So that was kind of our, that was our hypothesis on why those emails were less successful. Um, so we started when we, when we first started four eyes, we still have this um, in the, in the application, we set it up so we could do it. Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. That's why thousands of dealerships trust four eyes to help with things like automated inventory, email updates, and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. To try Four Eyes for free, visit foureyes.io slash dealer talk. That's foureyes.io slash dealer talk. So we could say, hey, we can exclude a certain number of people from receiving the email. And we can compare the, the close rate of the people we're emailing versus the people we're not. And so we did that in mass for thousands of dealerships when we first started. And the difference was like the control group closed at like 11.4% and the people we were emailing were closing at 13.6%. And so that's where we, we realized like, okay, we have a winning tool. We are affecting close rate in a positive way. Um, and so, and we still turn on control groups now and then to be able to analyze like, you know, is our email effective? Effective, yeah. So let's talk about, um, you know, when it comes to email marketing, one of the conversations that I have often with uh with decision makers is the the open rate so you would go in with like hey man you got great open rate 30 percent you know what i mean and people are clicking and stuff is that an effective way to measure um the 
the performance of, of, of an email effort or, or are there other things that we need to consider? Yeah, so open, open rate is a good top line indicator. It's, it's one of many top line. If that's your only top line indicator, then you're doing something wrong. Um, right. But it's, it's, it's one of a good set of metrics. And like, to me, open rates also, um, the other thing I'll say as a guy who does a lot of emails is I think one of the things people don't understand about email providers is how well are you managing your email servers so that you can maintain high open rates? Because if you don't maintain your email servers and you're not putting a lot of dev resources and attention into actually maintaining those machines that are sending those emails, they'll get blocked and flagged and you'll see that open rate go down to 10, 11%. Um, and, and that's a reflection of just getting in people's spam, not making it where it needs to be. So like behind the scenes, that's a really, really important thing to manage. We spend a lot of time managing the, just the, the, the actual sending, making sure we're not being flagged, making sure our, our unsubscribe rates, all of that stuff is in, in you know, not in danger of, of hurting open rates. Um, Cause that would, that would be a, that would be a disaster. Um, but then, you know, the next metric going down, down is like, well, then what are they doing? You know, the, the beauty of four eyes is we can then see everything they're doing on the website, whether or not they're clicking oftentimes. So we get a whole picture of like, is this part of the buy-in experience? Are we, are we creating this two great scenes, no bad scenes? Um, and, and the bad scene we're really trying to fix when we email is the feeling that the dealer isn't communicating with you. The feeling that you put in an inquiry and the dealer kind of forgot about you. Um, and like one of the things that's that's hot right now that's crazy is the amount of times what well, we're seeing right now. And oh, let me interject yeah. there though because that's one of my that's a pet peeve of mine. I mean, is it really though that the, that they forgot, or is it that they think that they're communicating with the customer because they have all these processes in place and they're like, oh no, that that aspect is taken care of. I got this automated thing that's supposed to. You know what I mean? Like there's so that's the other thing. Like there's so much things happening, all these different platforms, all these different, um, uh, you know, communication platforms that we oftentimes I feel like dealers think that they're covered and they're really not covered. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that's a great point. Like, do you find that when you run like an activity report in the CRM, all of these things that are doing things on the leads look like activity? Right. Yeah. But but. You know, when I have these conversations, when I break it down, like I just had this conversation yesterday, talking to this to this uh, to one of the stores that I work at, and their their um, their open rate or their their response time was like two hours, and it's like, dude, like what's going on here? This is crazy. And they're like, well, I mean, why is it still counting me? There's an email that goes out when the lead comes in. Yeah, like you know what I mean. So that's the, like I feel like oftentimes we just feel like oh, there's we have a safety net for that stuff. The leads are being attended to, but they're really not. You know what I mean? Well, what I would say too, like, and I'm, I'm kind of off shooting off the cuff a little bit here, but like marking real human engagement in the CRM. Like if you can put a flag that's like, no, this was actually a real human talking to them. And are we at some point in the process circling back with real humans? Because that's the advantage of dealerships, right? That's how you're going to disrupt potentially Amazon. Or, or prevent an Amazon from coming into the space is by making humans valuable in it. Mm-hmm. Like Amazon, the, the more we just make it so it's like, oh, it's automated. You can just put it online and they just do the whole process. It's like, to me, that's like lemmings going over a cliff because 
that's like setting up Amazon and setting up the big companies to be like, thank you very much. We'll take this business model now. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, so, you know, I look at it, you, you're right in that, like all of the activity can look and fake. And my, my belief is like, you use all these tools to bubble people up and then you have your salespeople as like the front lines, then ushering them in and adding value and closing the deals. Right. Um, so with, with, you know, that brings up a good, a good thought for me. And, and, you know, so we have, let's say that for the dealers that, that have your, your platform or better yet, that don't have it and are considering it, what, what would you say is the main advantage? Because you could, all, they could also be thinking like, well, it's another email that goes out. That's the other thing that I have, right? Now, another communication that's going to go out on top of all the other things that are going out. What, what would be your 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 separation to that i mean i mean at the end of the day i would say i would say are we increasing close rate right do we are we yes or no and i think the 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 data is suggesting and the the customer success is suggesting and the, the growth we're having we increase close rate period and if we're not increasing close rate so if we were to go into a dealer and we're not increasing close rate then what's going on there and and, and that's usually a, a matter of too much noise like that's like okay we're bombarded the customer's being bombarded Let's unwrap what's two great scenes, no bad scenes. How are we bombarding them with bad stuff here? That's making it so when we have good messaging, they go they go blind. They're not even right. seeing it. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, we see it over and over again. Like we increase close rate, period. I mean, that's just what we do. It uh, and you know what does an increase of close rate of twenty percent mean? I mean, people work so hard. They do so much marketing work to drive seven extra leads or 10 extra leads, not realizing that like sales process work and in increasing the close rate on the leads you have is a much better way to, to long and long-term success, right? Running a better process. It's like, do you want a basketball team that, you know, just shoots all the time, but can't score? Or do you want a basketball team that can actually score points? Yeah, no, I like the, I like the, the, the thought too, because that's one thing that I talk to my customers, especially when I'm doing these discovery conversations. It's always like, listen, let's just be real here. You're, you're getting enough leads. Like you have enough leads here. I mean, if you just increase, increased your closing percentage, you'd sell more cars. You don't have to spend a dime more, you know? So um, it, it's always, you know, like I, I think that we get into these situations of, and listen, I've benefited from this, so I'm not, you know, but it, it's, it's the truth. I think that we we get into these situations in the car business that are like, oh, I need to sell more cars, you know, things are slow or whatever. And it's the answer is pump more, th- you know, pump more leads into the system. And that's going to, and it's like, no, man, like, why don't you, I would advocate to do less and figure out where the bottlenecks are, because oftentimes that's where, that's a worse situation. If you pump more leads into a broken system, it's not doing anything more. Than- well, and like something we see that's interesting, and this is like, it's a magic number we kind of talk about internally a lot, but like, it seems to be an automotive. There's like the, we call it the 5% rule, which is if you have a lead source that's generating less than 5%, it's actually hurting your sales process because you're putting salespeople's attention on that. And they're, they're just getting burned out. They're feeling more rejection. They're not getting that pep in their step from having enough success. And so what happens is then you start seeing like that they start lying, they start logging fake activity, they start not doing things. All of these repercussions come from just 
you know, introducing low quality leads into your funnel. And, you know, I, I think that dealers need to understand that every time you go out and if you're getting low quality leads, and you're putting them in your funnel, it, there's actually a risk of doing that. They see it as like a, a net zero risk. They're like, oh, well, whatever. If we can milk some leads. Right. Out of this. <laughs> we'll just get more. <laughs> no, it's like you're doing damage to your, your internal team whenever you do that. And you're not allowing yourself to build great process because there's not enough learning that goes on with that. So like, you know, I believe in like um, sort of the same thing of like, let, isolate the leads that are performing less than 5% and ask yourself, are they really necessary to our business? And focus on the leads that are in that higher. And sometimes you can turn them up. Sometimes you can see a problem where you're like, okay, we're, we're buying these leads, but we're not actually treating them. And that's why they're in this place. And we can actually you know, do some strategic work to get them above. But if you can't, they probably don't, they're, they're doing damage to your system. You, you're probably better off increasing the close rate on the higher group. Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, and kind of on that thought, so I just did a, um, a review, not a review, what's that word? Um, kind of an analysis rather of the majority of my stores. And I noticed that the majority of the lead activity, which I don't know why this surprised me, but it did, came after hours. And it was pretty high. It was close to 60%. So 60% overall, when I averaged and aggregated it, 60% of the, of the lead activity happened while there was nobody, no physical person at the store. Yeah. So um, what are your thoughts on that? And is there, does your tool help with that, because if that's the case, if I, I, I and I've been obviously I'm developing that that because I just did it recently. But if that's the case on a bigger scale, that's a problem, man. You know, to have people and I, I, I guess I figure why they do it. They don't want to get phone calls. They don't want to, you know what I mean. They want to, they want to feel like they're able to browse and shop, um, you know, without I don't know pressure. I guess. But then they see something that they like enough to, or maybe the, the store did a good job at giving the re customer a reason why they should give the information and they do, but then there's nobody there to really interact, right? And so in this digital world that we live in by tomorrow, that person forgot about it. They're doing something else. And so um, what do you think? Well, so one, I, I think your, your assumption that you said by tomorrow, the person forgot about it and did something else. I think part of that, that's true with some of the buyers, but that's not true with all of them. Um, and I think that's part of the power of four eyes is to say, whoa, 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 this person's actually highly likely to want to engage with you based off how they're using your website. Um, so the, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a, it's a binary by tomorrow they're dead. I think by tomorrow, you know, they're still, they're a set of, you know, like one of the things we look at is if we're going to give you a list of 10 names to call, what percentage are actually going to answer your answer your, your call? And, right. And people will say all the time, like, oh, four eyes, when I call people, half of I get a hold of half of them, right? So they're they're excited that they're getting a hold of half of them. That like that's that's great success to them. Um, you know, I, I think two things of that. I think that on the after hours stuff, it scares me that the logical conclusion people make is therefore I need to buy without salespeople. Therefore, I need to make it just so they can do everything without without somebody. Mm -hmm. Because it can be a race to the bottom. Like in a considered purchase, a considered purchase, if you have the salesperson correctly involved, they should be able to amplify your close rate. So now, 
if that's the if this is the new business, if this is the new world, then I would ask the dealerships, like, okay, are we do you have the right staffing model? You know, you have how many people do you have sitting there in the day that are relatively unproductive? Is the staffing model right for you? Is there a different staffing model that you need to take to be engaging these these shoppers? Um, you know, and and I I have a, I know that's like there's a, I have a lot of thoughts there on basically how to connect people to a real salesperson very quickly. I think that's also part of the problem that like you gotta you gotta go through like a gauntlet just to talk to a salesperson. The yeah, but and that that's yeah, that's a good that's a good point, man. But it's not like that anymore. That's the problem, right? Because it doesn't the leads don't go directly to the salesperson. The lead now goes through a BDC, the BDC funnels that, and then they, you know, I've had stores that have a BDC and inner department and then a sales floor. It's like what? You know how hard it is for the customer to get the attention that they need? Like, first of all, that in my opinion, re response time is key. Like, you a lead comes in, you respond to it immediately, and then you pass that along to, if you have a BDC, you pass it along to a salesperson right now. Like, you know, what are we going to wait for? We're going to wait for the customer to go to another dealership and have somebody that actually has their stuff together to, 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 to call them and then take the deal? Like, I don't, I don't get that. But then I, I, you go out to the front and there's five guys sitting on a golf cart right in front of the door of the dealership. And I'm like, I, I, I don't – because we have this BDC department that's supposed to be doing the work for them. I, I don't – I just don't understand that concept fully yet. So I'm going to take you on a little bit of a, a journey here and I'll connect it back to what you're saying. But the, <laughs> All right. But in 2012, if you Googled hardware stores in 2012, everybody was like, these stores are dead. Hardware stores are dying. They're dead. They're going away. They're they're dodo bird. And suddenly, last nine years, hardware stores have been going like this. And everyone's like, "What the hell is happening here? Like, how is this? These stores were they should be replaced. They should be automated. They should be gone. They're like, why why are hardware stores still able to somehow stay relevant? And what happened behind the scenes, and this is, I'm coming back to, to this. What happened behind the scenes, remember Home Depot when they first, like years ago, they used to staff their aisles with like real professionals. So you'd talk, you'd go into Home Depot and you'd talk to a real plumber or a real mm, electrician, right. retired guy, and they'd answer yeah. your questions. It was great. You'd like get kind of what you needed. And then Home Depot and Lowe's like both made massive cuts and got rid of those people and cut their labor down. So now like when you go to Home Depot and you ask a question, you're like, I don't even want to hear your answer because it's going to be weird. It's going to be wrong. <laughs> just, just don't, don't, don't talk to me. Right. You're, you're looking everything on YouTube instead. Like, yeah. Oh, this is what I need. <laughs> yeah. Just get away from me. Like you're just going to filter me with bad information where, but the hardware stores picked up those people. And when you go to a hardware store, you actually feel like, Oh, I can actually talk to them. Like, I don't know if you go to hard. You, you go. You look like a guy who probably goes to a hardware store every now and then. That's a compliment. Yeah, like, uh, Ace. I'm a shameless plug. Yeah, Ace Hardware for me. So, so what they did was was they, you know, what happened in the two great scenes and no bad scenes is hardware stores were able to add value, and Home Depot and Lowe's created kind of a bad scene, or like they had a good scene and they they made it not a good scene. And so I, I kind of think that the same thing, we need to take the same approach in automotive. When you're, we're talking about the BDC and the funneling of leads, it's like, think about it from the hardware store perspective. Like, how do you get someone on the phone to talk to the customer who's going to add value, 
who's going to make them feel like, oh, my, this is the person who's going to shepherd me through this transaction. And so, you know, it, it, I, I think there's a slightly different model at play with like a BDC. Like I, I believe in BDCs. I think they work. No, they, I, I do too. I'm not, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I just don't understand like where's the disconnect here? Like what, like I, the salesperson is, is supposed to still be a salesperson. You know what I mean? So but, and I but feel like, like the more the BDC does, the less the, the salesperson does. But, but another thing that's interesting on that point though is like, so, you know, we have a patent on connecting the phone call to the web visit. So we can see when they're on the phone, what's everything they've done on the website. Well, one of the interesting things is how many times a customer calls, picks up a phone, calls a dealership, and asks a question that they're staring at the answer. They're literally, so they'll say, we can see they're on the web page, on the VDP with the price listed, and they say, hey, I'm just calling to find out the price of this vehicle. And they're staring at the price. I can see right, that. Right there, yeah. <laughs> so, so why are they calling? They're calling because either they don't believe that the price you have listed is the actual price, or they're trying to establish trust with this. Is this is this somebody I can work with? Is this someone who's going to help me? Because they're giving you the layup question, and then right. there's this like this forty five seconds of hubbub and transferring and like oh let's figure out. And it's like no, right then is your moment to gain trust. Is to say I'm going to shepherd. I'm I'm your guy. I'm going to shepherd you or your gal. I guess I'm the guy gal or they. You know that I'm going to shepherd you through this transaction and that's actually what they're looking for they're not they don't care about the price they're looking at the price they're asking questions they already know and so and and you know this like you know if you go into if you're think about it from a take auto out of it if you if you're buying speakers for your house and you look up something about speakers and you're reading the reviews and you go online and then you go to a best buy and you talk to the salesperson you instantly realize they know less than you What's your response? Yeah, it's like no. It's I, I wanna I I don't even want them involved, right? You don't want them involved. Them. Yeah, so I like myself. Yeah, but but if you go in and you talk to the salesperson and they know more than you, guess what happens to your purchase price? Completely different. Yeah. Com- completely you walk yeah. out with speakers and, and spending more money and more money. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So Yeah, I mean that's definitely no, I totally get that. I I, I mean podcast for a different time but i mean the 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 way that the bdcs are set up right now i just feel like they're they're really turning salespeople into order takers right and we're really mm-hmm. losing the salesmanship like an inbound lead in my opinion shouldn't go to a bdc it should go straight to a salesperson they're yeah. sitting around doing anything right like give them give them that and let the bdc just do outbounds and you know, call list and that, that sort of thing, really like, develop business. What do you think? I mean, you, you brought up the nighttime scenario. Like, what do you think is the nighttime answer? Uh, that's a tough one, man, because you don't, you know, what do you do? You don't want to have a human being working there 24 seven, right? So there's got to be some sort of automated, automated um, f- first thing in the morning response. So something automated that happens at that, at that, at that moment in time. Um, and then, First thing when somebody gets there, it goes to 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 a salesperson to to kind of handle that. Or for the for the salespeople that really want it, they're like, hey, you know, I'll take it and you know, give them to me, sort of a deal. But they have to be on the phone. They have to be able to ha- answer those those leads whenever they come in. 
So, but that's a little bit unrealistic. I mean, you're not going to have somebody at three o'clock in the morning answering somebody's call. You know what I mean? So, you know, um, but, but we're in such a transitionary time where that person no longer has to be at the, at the dealership. Right. right. Yeah. True. So yeah. like, is, is there opportunity in that? You know, you know, I'm, I'm curious, we're doing a, a project kind of outside of automotive, um, but it's kind of on the same concept. Like would, would, would your commission salespeople take a lead at 10 o'clock if they think it's got a 20% close rate? Absolutely. For, for, for the real salesperson, absolutely. Why, why would they not? You know what I mean? Like um, if it's an opportunity to connect to a customer and to, to, sell them, to, to sell them a car to make that commission or whatever, why they would, I don't see why they would pass on that. But, yeah. you know, um, I think, you know, with COVID and everything that happened, one of the things that I've talked about on the show a lot is that, you know, what that really did was it created progress for the industry because the stuff that we were doing that we thought was differentiate us, differentiating us, that's the word, uh, everybody's doing, right, for the most part. We've all had to kind of gone, we've had to been creative or we've had to become, excuse me, more creative because of the situation. And so that's going to force us to look at the future and, and think outside the box, like maybe something like this where you have, you know, but I, I just would like to see those inbound efforts go directly to salesperson and not funnel through a BDC. Like that customer is already if they're making contact, send them straight to the to, to, to the salesperson. Like, what 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 do we have this intermediate person setting up an appointment for? You know, like I don't I don't get that. Yeah, they're not so busy that they're like you're like oh my god, this person has no time for you. So right. I, have, I have to be their screener in order to give you time to this great salesperson that you're going to yeah. talk to. And it's and I, it's not like one dealership, man. Like I've you know like I've been to multiple, and it's the same setup. You get it there. There's four or five guys on a golf cart sitting there talking. It's just become this thing that it's expected. What kind of impression is that as a, as a buyer, dude? You get there. I, I'm afraid to get out of my car. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think, know it's coming, you know? And I, I think it's, I think, I think part of the problem, you know, and people talk about this all the time is the BDC solved a specific problem and that there's a set of outreach that we know needs to happen every day to, to move these leads down the funnel. Sure. And they could do that without distraction. Um, but then what happens is then you go, you're like, oh, you're doing so great. And I'm able to just put work into you and you actually do it. So therefore, let's put more and more work into you and actually do it. So everybody sort of balloons their BDC and they're doing more and more and more. And then eventually it pops and then they got to right. reshuffle and figure it out. And <laughs> And so, you know, we're kind of in that spot now where we're saying, wait a second, we're asking the BDC to do so much. What are we asking these sales guys to do? Right. Exactly. And, exactly. And, and I, I think it's, it's a whole other podcast, but like when you start breaking down the, the, what are the roles of a modern dealership, of a modern sales process? You know, like you're talking about a, a data analyst and having these people that, you know, as one role. I think the other thing that's interesting is like, you know, finance manager was like, you know, numbers person, but there's a little bit of like a sales engineer, like who's that person who knows so much about the product that if we're going to do put so much education on the website or on a, you know, not even on the dealer website, but all over the place, who's that right. person who can come in and know more and add value and make the person feel like they're talking to pros they're dealing with like, 
you know, it, it, you see that you see that happen actually organically in service shops a lot on the fixed op side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and how do we create that experience on the sales side? Yeah, no, and then to your point, that's why I liked when you when we started the conversation. You were talking about this tool was for the salesperson. I had to think about that for a second because even my, that's just not my my perception because it's not the reality that I see every day. Like I see all these leads coming going straight to BDC departments, and it's like, you know, like like I said, it just it, I don't I don't fully understand that yet. Well, and what I see is I see four or five people. I see the same thing you see. There are four or five people that are sitting around that are not productive, that are not efficient, and I'm going like, there here's opportunity. But we have all this data, right? We have tools like yours. We have analytics. We have visitor visitor insights technology. We have all this information now that that we could feed it to these folks. We have equity mining tools. We have all this stuff. Like, dude, like think about you know being a salesperson. I'd be like, dude. Like there's no reason why I should be standing around. Yeah. None at all. Like I should be busy from the moment I get there until I leave. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't, I just, it's weird. Well, I mean, it's opportunity. Yeah. yeah it's, it, and, and I think that's part of where like, I think you're right. I think it's like, cause why do they, well, but why do they have four or five salespeople sitting around? They have four or five salespeople because do they, if they have enough showroom traffic coming in, they all of a sudden need to deploy those people. Sure. Yeah. But then it's in the, in the off hours, it's like, well, how are those people actually being deployed? They're like, you know, um, like I'm a lean organization guy. Like, like I think like a lean organization is a better, it's a better muscle. It can actually be deployed better to your resources. Well, this is not lean. Having four or five people sit around is, is the antithesis of lean. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and so you have to you have to lean in and say to your point. I mean, I think we're 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 preaching the choir here, but you have to lean in and say like, no, no, no. How do I get them to actually be work efficiently? Like asking them to do dead end tasks is part of the problem. But that's part of the reason they sit around. They're like, whatever they're asking me to do doesn't work. They're right. giving me a, a crappy list of names, telling me I'm supposed to follow up or I'm supposed to basically turn into a BBC myself. Um, true true so, all right man listen so thank you so much for doing this i really appreciate it there is one question that i ask everybody that comes on the show but before we do that i wanted to give you five minutes tell us about you guys where we can reach you i know you guys are, do these these um trials like i want every single dealership to listen in that's listening in to to give you guys a shot like i really believe in the product i think it, it, it you know like it really helps you connect with the customers that are ready to buy, and it does it in, in what I consider to be the most cost-effective way, which is which is via email. So, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, how can I mean, we touch with you guys. Look, increase your close rate. Go to foureyes.io. Sign up for a free trial. If you're like, what the hell am I signing up for for a free trial? Get a 10-minute demo from our sales guys to see what you're signing up for. And, we, and let us prove it to you. You don't have to, I mean, one of the, the big values of, of the prospect engagement module. So when I, I'll, I'll give a secret here that we do. So we have a prospect engagement module that asks nothing of you. And then we have our sales enablement module that only basically all a salesperson has to do is open their email in the morning and they're going to see the leads that, we're that are the best leads to follow up with at any given point. And those two modules... You start with prospect engagement model, module. We're just going to communicate to your customers. We're going to increase your close rate. We're going to do that without you doing a damn thing. 60 days. But meanwhile, we're collecting all the data. 
so that when we start talking to the salesperson, then if you like that, we're going to turn on the, we're going to give you a free trial of sales enablement for 30 days because we're going to say, okay, we now have 60 days of data that we can actually add value. We can tell the salespeople something they didn't know. I can say, hey, Herb, that guy you thought was lost. You know, one of the things, 34% of leads that dealers mark lost are not actually lost. Lost, yeah. So like we can bubble those up. It's great. It works fantastic. Um, but it's, again, like I, I feel like I'm lucky. I don't need to give a hard sales pitch because it's a free trial and there's no strings attached. We don't auto enroll you. We don't. Do, we have to prove to you at the end of 60 days, we have to get you on the phone and show you. You have to say yes or no, or don't answer our calls, in which case you're a no. <laughs> but... <laughs> but but the numbers speak for themselves. Right on. Yeah. So again, go to the show notes if you're uh, listening to this on the podcast app. I'm going to put the link there. Or if you're watching this on my YouTube channel, make sure to go to the video description and um, uh, sign up for your, for your demo and your free trial. Um, all right. So there is one question that I ask everybody that comes on the show. And that question is, where do you see the automotive industry headed in the next five years and why? I think the auto industry is in a battle right now at the tier three level to, uh, you know, there's so much consolidation happening. Um, you know, is the small single, single franchise, two franchise dealers still going to be around in five years? It, I mean, it's, I, I think there's going to be a lot. I mean, obviously there's so much acquisition. So the dealer's still going to play a role, but, um, you know, I think if the dealer can figure out how to make people valuable, I think that's going to protect their margins a lot. If the dealer can't f provide, figure out how to make people valuable, I think it's going to be a little bit race to the bottom, fixed pricing, just this is what it is. Go buy it from your dealer and dealers are going to be more fixed ops um, uh, houses. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think? Well, let me ask you. I'm, I'm kind of curious now because... Um, I don't know, man. I've, I've asked this question now for what, five seasons and everybody has a good, like a good answer to it. Like, you know, like what you just said right now, I think that that, that makes a lot of sense, but we don't know. That's the thing. That's the beauty of this, of this industry is that we just don't know what, what where things are going to be. I, I'll tell you this. Um, the, the industry is super accelerated, right? It's the fastest paced I've ever seen it. Um, I think that COVID did something, um, for all the bad that it did, I think that it did something wonderful for our industry and it's, you know, it forced progress. It allowed decision makers to really put themselves in a position to be like, I have to look at my business differently. Yeah. Because everybody else, like, you know, if, if ha having service hours open at 24 hours, if picking up customers and dropping them off was a thing, if doing offsite test drive was your thing, was a thing that made you different guess what? It's not like that anymore. Everybody's doing that for the most part, or they're willing to. And so that forces us to think and look at the business in a way that we haven't really done. Um, and so I think that two, three, four years from now is really when we're going to start seeing those things. Decision makers are more open-minded to ideas and, 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 and technology and all these things now more than ever. I mean, look at what happened with digital retailing without any acceleration, mind, mind you. Like there's no data that supports that it has done absolutely anything. But we all signed up for it. We all did it. We all like the ones that were hesitant were like, oh, no, that's, that's going to happen five years from now or whatever. They all were like, oh, no, I got to get on this now. 
And so um, just that, that, that switch in, in, in mentality, that switch in mindset is going to do wonders for the industry. I really believe that. And so um, I think the next five years look, look really good for us. But we got to, you know, we also have to be realistic. We got to know that we have people that are, that want our, you know, want to move our cheese, right? Like the Carvanas and the Vrooms and even the Amazons. Like, you know, just because the Amazon isn't fully saying I'm taking on that industry doesn't mean that they're not working towards it or planning on it on their, on, you know, their five, 10 year roadmap. Well, and, and to your point, like, I, I think that question of where's the industry in five years, like, if you asked me a few years ago, my answer is different now. Like I, I 100% believe the dealer is going to be relevant in five years. Oh yeah. But, but sure. I think that it, my question now is what, what about the small single store, two store dealers? Do, are they going to be relevant in five years? Yeah, no, I mean, but st still, I mean, I think that that, I mean, it, it's good and it's bad. I, I still feel like that them being acquired, means that they have more resources hopefully at their disposal and they'll be able to again implement some of these things that um we're not even not even i'm not even going to say implement some of these things because i really feel like there's new like really revolutionizing things coming like just you want one area that i can tell you right now that i feel is the next thing is websites i mean look at dealers dealership websites they all look and feel the same yeah, and we just need one company to be like, I'm gonna do this completely different and change that up. And I don't know what that looks like, but I know that to me, I feel like that's the next the next thing that's gonna happen. Yeah. So, Herb, this know. this was great. I uh, I really I really appreciate. It. My team spoke so highly of you. They're like, wait till you meet Herb. He's great. You're gonna love him. And so now now I see why. It's uh, well done. You're uh, this is a good format, and I like that you. I listen to a lot of podcasts. You you didn't put you didn't put twelve minutes of small talk in there, which kills me when I listen to a podcast. We got right into it. Uh, so great job. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for doing this too. Like it's it's I, this would this is a topic that I that, that I really wanted to cover. I feel again, I'm I'm a bit big advocate of what you guys do. I think that there's tons of value there, and I, I really you know hope that the people listening in give you give you guys a shot because I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised. Oh, great. Well, thank you, Herb. This is awesome. I appreciate your time. Right on. Well, thanks again, David. Um, again, go to the show note, guys. Check the, the links. Do the demo. Sign up for the trial. Um, listen, you got nothing to lose, right? So go ahead. Do it right now. And uh, check it out for yourself. Come to your own conclusions. Um, that's all the time that we have for today, folks. Thanks again. And as usual, we'll talk later. The vendor Lexus Nexus, we don't sell digital marketing. What you do? We inspected with our DT vendor management solutions. We come in like the EPA to clear out the pollution. Take the trash. Go keep your PL clean. Your inventory Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. That's why thousands of dealerships trust Four Eyes to help with things like automated inventory email updates and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. To try Four Eyes for free, visit foureyes.io slash dealer talk. That's foureyes.io slash dealer talk.